0: This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey, everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. So happy to have you with me this week for a very special interview. In June of 2018, 20 members of the wild boar soccer team, kids between the ages of 11 and 17, and their 25-year-old coach entered the Tam Luang Cave in Thailand. Heavy rainfall flooded the cave system, and they were trapped within. Around the world, we followed the news of a massive rescue effort to bring them to safety. As days passed, we hoped and we waited. Then, on July 2nd, British divers, my guest Richard Stanton and John Volenthen, found the group alive, perched up on a rock. As they discussed the rescue efforts, hopes of survival rested on Rick Stanton and his group. Rick is a retired British firefighter whose lifelong hobby and passion has been cave diving. While my hobbies have usually involved eating popcorn and watching movies, Rick has for four decades perfected his unique skill at cave diving and has ultimately saved lives. Now, when rescue organizers were discussing the options for extracting the boys from the cave, they were racing against time, fearing more rain that would flood the cave. A very risky plan formed to swim them out one by one, carried by a rescuer, among them Rick Stanton the boys were sedated with the anesthetic ketamine to prevent them from panicking during the dive that took over two and a half hours. Between the 8th and 12th of July, all 12 boys and their coach were rescued alive by Rick and his group. Rick Stanton joins me to tell us about his background, what his hobby actually entails, the incredible Thai rescue and how the boys are doing, and how he's working with the Hollywood star that will be playing him in the movie next year. Now, there are many projects coming out about this incredible incident. Rick Stanton has a new book called Aquanaut. Director Ron Howard's upcoming movie, 13 Lives, is premiering in the spring of 2022. And an incredible documentary that literally had me on the edge of my seat for the entire time. It's called The Rescue, a National Geographic film by producers Ichai Vasarhelji and Jimmy Chin who in 2019 won the Academy Award for their documentary Free Solo. Let's take a listen to the trailer for The Rescue, and I'll meet you on the other side for my talk with Mr. Rick Stanton about this incredible rescue. Breaking news right now out of Thailand.
1: Rescue teams are working through the night to save 12 boys and their coach trapped inside a cave. The monsoon had come early. The conditions in the cave were impossible. There was a very strong feeling that the children couldn't be still alive. We need expert cave divers out here. The Thai Navy SEALs put everything they had into it, but only this group of people who do it as a weekend hobby has those skills. I was thinking, "This, this has actually got our name all over it. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face trying to wriggle through holes that I couldn't wriggle through, finding a bigger space, sliding through, and then repeating again and again. How, how many of you? 13? 13. We look into each other's faces, thinking, we may be the only ones that ever see them. Finding the boys was the easy part. They didn't have a clue how to get those kids out. We didn't think it was possible to dive the children out. We came up with the actual logistical plan. I told him, that's a horrible idea. And then Rick said, what if it's the only idea? We were brutally honest. We promised multiple fatalities. It's about controlling your emotions and your fear. Panic is death in the cave. When mind was on overdrive. Oh my God, am I going to be good enough? If they die, it's going to tear me apart. If you don't dive, everyone will die. I told the guys, this is a one-way trip. Once you start, you cannot stop. Believe. Believe.
0: Mr. Stanton, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you. So now, why does a lad from Essex get interested in cave diving?
1: well i was um good question i was 18 sitting at home not doing very much and my mother said oh there's quite an interesting program on the telly and it was a british documentary about some cave divers exploring a cave in northern england Uh, and i started watching it and i was totally transvexed something about it really resonated or identified within me and i just thought that's what i want to do i grew up i was i say I was a confident water person i was a confident swimmer i grew up with jack cousteau i was aware of um like diving as a thing i was aware of like cat climbing and, and caving but i wasn't aware of cave diving so that that it just all fell into place at that point.
0: You're one of the best divers in Europe. You have several world records. You've been appointed member of the Order of the British Empire. You've won um, bravery awards for the tie-ins. But for my listeners and for me who think diving is looking at fish in beautiful reefs, what is it exactly you do?
1: So uh, for an American audience, the best way to say, you've, you've got the activity of spelunking, which is going down dry caves. Uh, and I would call myself uh, not a diver. But I would call myself an underwater Spelunker. So our speciality is not just going into big clear caves like you might have in Florida or Mexico, but going in, into carrying our diving equipment into dry caves and then diving and then continuing on carrying equipment and, and progressing like that. So underwater spelunking. And that was really that what differentiates us between what we do and sort of the sort of cave divers you see in other parts of the world.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the pictures I've seen of you, like as a hobby, it seems uh, for the uninitiated, it's quite stressful, dark, dangerous. What is the appeal?
1: The the thing that the, the other thing that I identified with from that program was that These people in the documentary were exploring, and not, and it wasn't to some far-flung corner of the earth. It was under British soil. So the whole point is, uh, you are everyone's curious, I I believe, at some point in their lives, and you know some of us keep that up, and so it's the curiosity of finding, uh, of exploring.
0: So you're actually going places where others haven't been, if I'm hearing correct.
1: That's really our main. You know, once you've sort of developed your technique and and you know gone on to all the known caves, the one thing to sort of progress to is that exploring and, and going where no one has been. And the whole surface of the planet has been photographed. You could you from the comfort of your living room, you could see every inch of the planet. But but you in a cave, there's no technology that will penetrate or find out. So the only way is to go there.
0: And is there something in in your mentality and physique that makes you particularly good at this?
1: Uh, well, at the time I was very thin. I'm not quite as <laughs> so thin now in my sixties, but I was very thin. Uh, but I, I, I think it's more about other attributes. Like as I said, I was comfortable in water. Uh, I, you know, I was very calm under pressure, and that's one of the main things. And the other one is uh, it's quite a technical activity. You've got a plan. All little planning and logistics and technicalities to equipment and 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 uh, playing around with that. So I I had all of those um, facets.
0: Yeah. To explain to the listeners, when you talk about being thin, it's because you're really squeezing through incredibly small holes, basically.
1: Not all the time. Sometimes. Not all the time.
0: But I mean, that's a good thing to be able to do. <laughs>
1: um- yeah i mean so, so especially in england because we don't have such large caves so it so we have we have specialist equipment for diving in in the smaller caves for example we wear our cylinders on our side rather than our back so we're more low profile for going into smaller places and to tie in with a tie cave rescue whilst that wasn't essential it was a huge advantage for us
0: you also you're a retired firefighter and it seems to me that certain things sort of go together here that means a lot of risk and adrenaline and and going into places where you can't see I'm sure and saving people which has also become part of because you and several of your diving companions so to speak have actually done a lot of rescues and recoveries correct
1: yeah yeah that's true so we've I mean, there are a lot of similarities between the fire service and, and cave diving, that is true. But I always say I was a c- caver and cave diver before I joined the fire service. And uh, When I was working, I still maintained my hobby to a high degree. And then when I left work and retired, I still go cave diving. So cave diving is the common thing. And the fire service, you know, they, it fed into it and it gave me time off and allowed me to retire early. But... But really, it's the cave diving that's that's the thing.
0: And how did they find you for these rescues and recoveries? The, the group, there's a group of you that they that sort of been around the world and done some very spectacular
1: rescues. So that's so. It's a very small world, very well connected. I I travel a lot to conferences and I meet a lot of people. But, but really, it was from pursuing my hobby to to. An extreme degree that you know, I and and the people with me got got um, names for ourselves. Uh, and it was actually myself and Jason Mullinson, who was one of the Thai rescuers, were called to rescue six British soldiers that were trapped in a cave in Mexico in 2004. Now we were flown out by the British government, uh, and it's very, very similar case to the Thai boys, they're in a cave, they've been trapped by floodwaters. I think they have been trapped for, I can't remember the detail, but at least eight days by the time we got them out. It might have been nine. So a very similar circumstances, except they were adults and they were disciplined military people. But once once we'd effected that rescue completely successfully, then we were sort of the go-to name. These things don't happen very often. And if, if you've just got one experience, that's a lot, that's probably infinitely more than everybody else.
0: So one day in 2018, you got a call. I don't know if you were following it already on TV, 12 boys and their football coach had disappeared into the Tam cave in Thailand. So who called you and what did they ask you to do?
1: Uh, I was aware of the incident. I I was coincidentally seen a girl, a Thai girl that lives in Chiang Rai, which is really close to the, the cave. and she could have informed me of it. Uh, through the sort of channels that we normally go on rescues, we were reaching out by the British government to say to the Thai government, look, here we are, we're a group of people with experience of these rescues. But at the same time, there was coincidentally a British caver on the scene at the early stages of the rescue called Vern Unsworth. And whilst I'd never met him, uh, through Caving Network and through our our sort of, I don't know, fame for want of a better word, he certainly knew of us and he was the one that put our names forward to the Thai government ministers in a meeting when they were determining how to go forward because he was there as the expert. Um, and, and all credit to the Thai ministers when when Vernon Unsworth said what you need is perf- um, some very experienced cave rescue uh, cave diving rescuers and he put forward our names they acted upon it immediately basically rang us up and said we, we're putting you on a plane from the uk to thailand that very evening we i had two about two hours to get myself together and then before i had to leave my home to get to the Heathrow in time
0: and it was you and john right
1: it was me and john and there was another guy came with us rob who was actually very fam- he was a diver and he was familiar with that cave but he but um uh, that the cave had flooded so much that was sort of beyond his reach but but he was very he offered very good advice as well, so the three of us flew out
0: so when you get there, the three of you and John and what do you assess about the situation outside what what is happening
1: well well it was it was total chaos i mean there there were hundreds of people, if not more, million around no, I would say not necessarily lost a sense of purpose, but there certainly wasn't particularly any coordination going on. Uh, And we, first thing we had to do is establish, well, meet up with Vern and establish a base camp. And we actually got through uh, the restricted area and found a room, you know, in the park buildings where the place was to to just to have as a a base for our diving operations. And the next phase was to go immediately into the cave. We wanted to see it. It hadn't fully flooded at this point, but it was clearly going to flood to see as much of it as we could before before we lost more of it underwater.
0: Do you imagining that the boys were alive at this point? How many days had been they been in there then?
1: Uh, they'd been in there five days, but, I mean, it was continuously raining. The, the water had come up considerably. I mean, our, our initial thoughts is, no, n- they're probably not alive. I mean, flooding... In caves is a is a one of the prime uh, causes of cave rescue accidents amongst experienced cavers, let alone inexperienced people like these were. So we we have to say we weren't very hopeful. But that being said, unless you, you don't know, unless you until you find out. So whatever we thought in our head didn't let us didn't stop us being as keen as as we were to to go in and and find for ourselves.
0: So here you are, kind of three or four middle-aged British men with all these army people and Thai government. Did they sort of underestimate you or did they they realise, did they know of your ability?
1: It wasn't a case of uh, underestimating. They just didn't understand. They didn't understand that I had 40 years' experience in those sort of caves where these might be 20 to 30-year-old fit men who but they've never been. They've never done diving in zero visibility where you can't see your hand in front of your face. They've never been in, to them that was, to us it was warm, but to them it was moderately cold water. They've never been in a cave, and they couldn't quite. Uh, uh, and the other thing, they've been tasked to do it from work. It doesn't give them any aptitude necessarily as people. That's nothing against them. They were exceptionally brave. Whereas not only have we selected ourselves by a continued development and have an aptitude, We actually do it for fun. I know it sounds like crazy, but we we do it for fun. So we're completely happy in in that environment.
0: So take us there, when you start diving, what is it like in this cave?
1: So what you have to remember is it's not just, it's not us going for a dive, the equipment, whilst we're progressing through the cave. Uh, It was really strong current, really strong flow, uh, and you couldn't see anything. But the the sections were short, and then we came uh, to the third chamber, which was about eight hundred yards in in from the entrance, and we came to four water pump workers who had been trapped there. Uh, They'd been stranded by the rising water and the evacuate missed the evacuation, and we had to rescue them there and then. So that was a bit of bit of a surprise.
0: Yeah, because no one knew they were missing, right?
1: That's that's correct. Yes. Uh, and so we had to dive them out, only short sections, maybe underwater, 30 seconds at, at a time, but they, they weren't, the, I mean, they weren't particularly comfortable underwater, that's the, that, you know, that's just the, the best way of putting it.
0: So there's incredible footage. Um, on the ninth day, you and John get to the kids and we see this footage, we saw it all over the world. Um, they've been there for nine days with no food. <laughs>
1: No, thank,
0: thank you. you. Thank you. How, how many of you?
1: Thirteen. Yeah, 13. Brilliant. Yeah yeah.
0: Backpack is we going
1: inside? No, not today. <laughs> oh, not today. Not today. Two of us. You have to die.
0: We are coming, it's okay
1: okay. Many people are coming Many, many people We are the first, many people come What
0: what What were your first thoughts?
1: Uh, Well, first thoughts were We we could hear them and we could see their lights And the first thoughts were Well, I hope they're all alive We didn't even know if they were all going to be alive or healthy And And then of course that video is in real time. That's what we saw. We hadn't seen anything before that. And then they all plainly walked into view. And I, you know, I'd counted them before John had asked the question. So obviously, hugely relieved that they're all safe and all, all alive. Um, but that was quickly followed up with, uh, although we, did, we knew we couldn't do anything there. And then we still wouldn't even we still didn't know what we would do in the future it just seemed like an impossible situation to get them out so the joy of finding them and the relief of finding them alive and not bumping into 13 dead bodies as we had been expecting was tempered by the fact well we've we've you know we that isn't we haven't affected the rescue and we've not no idea or got the skills to, at that time to to plan the rescue
0: how do you explain these the the sort of mental state of these 13, uh, 12 kids, and the coach that they that they managed this.
1: So, well, we were asked to appraise their mental and physical state, and we just said they're all fine. So they they were all largely fine. Um the the only thing I could I can say, I you know, I wasn't a fly on the wall, so I don't know. But they were a tight-knit group as a team, football team, before they went in. Uh, they must have remained a tight knit group by the end um, when they were trapped in the cave, and they're still a tight knit group of uh, friends now. So that's that's really my you know their mutual support was what really helped. And we you know we say they played a passive in their own survival by their very nature, their their stoic nature, uh, which is largely driven by you know the cultural differences between you know Asia and the and the west as well
0: and and what are those
1: well well, they're they're much more in in tune with fate and non-blame and just accepting what's going what's what's happening and and also younger people as a whole tend not to dwell on the on the to them it's just an adventure that's gone wrong they don't tend to dwell on the mortality of their situation that's something that possibly doesn't enter young people's heads when they're in those situations i've been told
0: they had not eaten anything for two weeks
1: well they I mean they hadn't eaten anything in nine days and he's correct uh, but but a human body can survive three weeks without without any
0: you swim back um, for this massive planning that just seems I mean this is unprecedented of course um, I when, every time I read about that part, and I think about uh, sort of as a mother myself, that you know that they're there, but you have to take some time to figure this out. It just makes me very nerve. It feels like anything could happen. What if it floods again? You've seen them alive. They've, they're in hope. They have hope. What were you thinking?
1: Well, well literally that. If it, it could have rained again. If it had rained heavily that night, the you, we talked about the first few days that we were there. That the current was so strong, you couldn't progress against the beyond the third chamber. Then it would have only taken a day's rain, and that would have returned, and none of us none of us would have got back to them. That that is true, and they would have almost certainly have perished. But the rains did hold off, um, uh, and allowed us to go in. I, mean, I think you needed that time because one, we needed they needed to be. They were they were weak, although I say they were fine. They were weak, and we took in a few days later. We took in food, and you know that week from when we found them to when we started bringing them out, that that was useful in in building them up.
0: And tell me about the plan for the actual rescue.
1: I mean, I've practiced rescues before. I have rescued live casualties. They're normally cavers, and even then, they might not necessarily not every caver goes underwater some people are, who go caving might actually be scared of, of being in the water but largely from rescuing those pump workers early on and from my own experience in previous occasions and practices we realized it was almost impossible to dive them out as conscious um, casualties and so the, the only thing that I could think of was would be to sedate them.
0: Because it was a two and a half hour roughly yes, yeah. swim right?
1: If 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 you're listener or if you know if you were blindfolded and then taken on a two and a half hour journey, maybe through some uh, you know, like new New York subwaves bumping into people, bumping into things, not knowing where you are, it'd be hugely distressing and disturbing and disorientated. Now, if you imagine doing that underwater for two and a half hours, it's it's very unlikely that any anybody would, would gain. Would maintain their composure for that long.
0: And what were the risks of swimming out with a sedated child?
1: Well, if you if you speak to Dr. Richard Harris, who was the doctor the anaesthetist I brought in, he would talk for hours on on the huge risks. But um, the risks are obviously that you are in a you are underwater and if there was any leak, there's nothing you could do in the middle of a. Section, and the boy would drown. So the whole thing was uh, very much heavily reliant on the, the, the face mask seal. And there was there was no alternative to that. If that had failed or the mask had, had been dislodged, the boys would almost certainly drown.
0: So one by one, um, you start to swim them out. Was there a process in who went first?
1: There was. Uh, well, Harry gave them some very brief guidelines, which were I mean the coach was to remain to the last day and we wanted some of the stronger fitter ones of the group which tended to mean the older ones, 16 17 year old 15 16 70 year olds uh, to come out first for a number of reasons because one they were stripped stronger we wanted to to practice on people that were had a higher chance of survival and we were still concerned some of the other boys had had small faces we still hadn't resolved the whole what to do with a a smaller face and that all-important face mask now there's story coming from the boys about how they selected themselves about being the furthest from the cave so they could cycle home and and tell their friends look that's what they say that's fine but i i don't i don't give it any credibility to be fair
0: and when you're swimming out with your first boy um mr stanton how do you sort of not work with yourself not to panic or do you not at all is it not a question for you i mean how do you how are you mentally per- uh,
1: no, i don't think i don't think it's you know we i mean we we'd swum that cave three or uh, three three or four times by that john and myself, so we we're quite familiar with the route obviously that's not really in our nature to panic but the main thing was you know you had to it wasn't about the panic from our point of view it was about accepting the enormous responsibility of 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 a a child in your hands now we in the course of our explorations we we don't as i say we're an underwater spelunker and we can go into a cave and dive and then camp beyond and take all sorts of of stuff that a normal diver would not carry underwater so we're used to carrying packages underwater it but this package happened to be a human life
0: and are you thinking of of his parents i mean you can either come and say I'm sorry for your loss, or just this wonderful reunion. Oh, no,
1: I was just I was just concentrating on doing, getting the job done, and getting them out alive.
0: But how did it feel when you did get them out alive?
1: Well, that was that was obviously, uh, yeah, uh, amazing. But then we had to do it again, and then when we did it again, we had to do it again. So we had to do three days, and there was. Equal or even more risk on the on the last latter days with the with the smaller weak, weaker children. So uh, you know there was no time for complacency or celebration uh, until the very end. We we had given an estimate that we wouldn't get you know, there would be some losses,
0: and there were none.
1: There were none. No, not yeah, correct. There were none, which was uh, amazing. I, I, I think a testament to the planning and. Maybe a bit of luck. I'm not a great believer in luck, but clearly something went right.
0: Have you seen the boys again since then?
1: Yeah, I've seen them. Uh, I saw them about six months after the event, um, when they'd all obviously put on a weight, back their weight back on, and, and they're all healthy. They all seem to be having fun. Uh, you know, there is a language barrier, so I can't just talk to them as an, as I wish. But uh, yeah, they're all good. Uh, and most people are hugely surprised when I say they still go in the cave. Some of them still Oof. go in there or on trips with Vernon. So it hasn't really uh, uh, affected them at all, I guess.
0: That's incredible. So there's no sort of trauma.
1: No, I, I think that's all through this, you know, you know, the the, the network of been a, a group of people. For them, it was a, an adventure. It, look, it did go hugely wrong and, it, uh, incredibly they you know it, it was put right but in terms of the cave they, why why shouldn't boys have adventure
0: no oh, no of course not but this was quite scary for at least for everyone outside
1: So <laughs> oh, uh yes of course and I, i'm not i've never managed you know i'm not in a position to ask the boys were they scared i you know i'm sure uh, yes I, I don't know but but the you know the cave is just a Treat the cave from their point of perspective as an uh, adventure playground to have fun.
0: There's so many things happening for you now. There's a movie, Ron Howard is making a movie. And if I'm correct, Viggo Mortensen is playing you.
1: That's correct, yes.
0: And have you worked with them?
1: Uh, Yes, so I spent about two and a half months in Australia where they're filming this movie early in the year uh, as a technical advisor and training uh, Vigo and uh, Colin Farrell, who plays John, how to how to act and dive like us. And prior to that, I spent months uh, on Zoom with Vigo just so he could assimilate my character, my personality, you know, my, my way of talking.
0: Well, Vigo is great. He's been on on my show. Um, is he doing it well?
1: Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I say he's 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 turned out into a do it better me than I am. <laughs>
0: And what about in terms of of diving for these two?
1: Well, it was in a it was all st- staged in a, in, a, in a studio and a set. They're both uh, qualified divers. They're both entirely comfortable underwater. This was an entirely different set of equipment and, and techniques. But uh, you have to remember that they they they're, they're, they're top end actors used to taking direction. So if if you put them in the equipment so they look right and then tell them what to do they'll instantly do what you say uh, or even copy you know we were we were diving with them and they were copying us they chose to do all their own stunts there was no need for any any stunt doubles or anything like they did everything themselves uh, uh, and they were really good at it
0: do you know when that's coming out what is the release on that
1: i believe it's sometime in the spring of next year
0: And there's also an incredible documentary, which is coming out very soon in October, um, which is National Geographic. And also you have a book. Please tell me about the book.
1: A lot of my friends have always said I've had a lot of cave adventures. A lot of people said I had a book before this happened. But of course, the Thailand Rescue really gave it uh, a bigger voice and a bigger audience. And so I've written a book. It's called Aquanaut, A Life Beneath the Surface. It's really about it's not just about the Thailand rescue. It's got a braided narrative where there are two streams, my life and the Thailand Rescue, sort of interwoven as you as you read through it. Um, it's some of the adventures, why we were why our names were put forward to go to Thailand, because you know, we were the go-to people to call, how we'd got that experience, and then sort of you know that experience is what led to the rescue being 100% effective so it's how how and why we were called and how we amassed all that experience by all doing the crazy things we had done for ourselves that fed into the the success of the rescue i'm hoping that my book um may may inspire people to to take up diving
0: yeah what you've done has inspired people um The rescue, the book, and the film's coming now. So I have no doubt. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I know that you were immensely busy. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. Okay, see you, Christina. Bye.
0: Thank you so much to Mr. Rick Stanton. His book Aquanaut will be released in the U.S. in January 2022. The Ron Howard movie is also planned for release in the spring of 2022. And the documentary The Rescue will be out in theaters and National Geographic sometime in October. Thank you so much for listening, and please subscribe and rate Pop Culture Confidential. It really helps others to find us. See you next time. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you.